Hello and welcome. I'm Chris Neeland, host of Cult Brand Secrets. This podcast is brought to you by Evergreen Podcasts and The Gathering. The Gathering is a Forbes top-rated business summit, and it's a masterclass for brand leaders hoping to reap the benefits of having hyper-engaged customers, prospects, and staff. In every episode, I present one of industry's biggest disruptors, a brand leader who is earning cult-like status by thinking and behaving differently than his or her mediocre peers. These brand leaders will share examples of how their companies, such as Marvel, M&Ms, Beats by Dre, Yeti, or the Dallas Cowboys, are spending their time and their resources creating advocates by enhancing their customer and their employee experiences in ways that make interacting with them irresistible. So check out all our episodes to gain access to the most impressive business leaders sharing their most important advice. Next year, 2023, is the 10th year anniversary of The Gathering. And one of my very favorite things that has happened each year is that we have honored a brand that isn't completely intuitive. You know, most people don't question us when we choose to recognize brands like Disney or Marvel or the Los Angeles Lakers. But when we told people that we were honoring DoorDash in 2022, not everyone was aware of all of their awesomeness. Yet, after Kofi's presentation, you could feel this collective get it factor. And everyone was like, oh, I had no idea this company was that amazing. And I really love that because I love finding these remarkable, but maybe lesser known brands and then showcasing these remarkable stories, these remarkable leaders and helping us all learn how to create something that can be equally remarkable. The other big disconnect that I think people have about DoorDash is they think of it first and foremost as a B2C company, you know, a a delivery service bringing homeowners a meal. But they are actually first and foremost a B2B company. And there aren't nearly enough good examples of B2B cult brands. But DoorDash is all about supporting local businesses and helping them remain relevant in a digital economy. They've also got this valuable marketplace providing millions of gig workers billions of dollars of supplemental income. You know, it's very similar to how Spotify taught us during their presentation a few years ago about how they exist to create commerce opportunities for aspiring musicians. DoorDash in a similar way aspires to create access and economic stability for entrepreneurs. I'm really excited for you to hear from Kofi. When I consider him and his speech, one overriding word comes to mind, and that word is impressive. Kofi is an impressive human being. He's an impressive brand leader. He's an impressive black man fighting against the odds and showing us what great brand leadership looks like. He's an impressive speaker with an impressive story to tell. So let me get out of the way and let him tell it. Here's Kofi from DoorDash. Thank you for having me. Uh, Good afternoon. It's wild to me um, to be up here. You know, when I think about my journey to this stage, um, you know, I don't feel like I'm supposed to be here. Right? So I think about the odds, you know, that an immigrant kid from Ghana 
um, who came to the U.S. 25 years ago with $100 in a suitcase, would become the CMO of DoorDash and end up on this stage talking to this audience a tiny, right? Small. Um, and when you look at the statistics, that bears it out, right? So the ANA, the Association of National Advertisers, estimate that out of their 870 uh, member companies, only 3% have black CMOs. And I work in technology at DoorDash. And when you think about across tech companies, black employees make up 4% of tech leadership. So how am I here? Right? Like if, if you think about the odds, if you like a gamble, um, this is a bad bet. So how do I end up here? And in a word, access. So I end up here because in 1997, I got this letter that changed my life. It's uh, my offer of acceptance to McAllister College in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, and it came with a full ride financial um, aid scholarship. And there's no way I could have been able to afford to come to the States or to go to college without this. And McAllister gave me access to a world-class education and more importantly, it introduced me to the most important person in my life, which is my wife, Kate. So if you do the math, we're coming up on 25 next year. Goddamn, it's wild. And then three years later, in 2000, I went to a job fair um, sponsored by MAPE, for those of you who know MAPE, and Brass Ring Diversity. And it was a job fair for underrepresented talent. So I got on the bus, from my college in St. Paul, Minnesota, drove to Chicago to the basement of the Palmer House Hilton. I'd never heard of advertising and marketing as a career. I was a finance econ major, um, and I didn't think this was a thing that you could do. At that job fair, I met Corey Flournoy, who ran the internship program for Leo Burnett, which is an advertising agency in Chicago. I got a spot in that internship program that summer, and that set me on the path to this industry. So in a lot of ways, that basement of the Palmer House Hilton is what brings me to the stage today. And when I think about it, for me, access is one of the most powerful ideas, one of the most powerful ideals you can have. And in a lot of ways, it's what brought me to DoorDash. Um, because DoorDash's mission is to empower local economies. And we do that by providing access to opportunity. Local economies are built on local businesses and local merchants. These businesses drive over 60% of the GDP in any city, in any neighborhood, in any community. Uh, but more than that, they're responsible for the vitality and character of our neighborhoods. When you think about it, like when businesses thrive, so do, so do neighborhoods. But if you really think about the last couple of decades, the world has changed around these businesses, right? So the customers that they used to rely on walking through their doors are now switching to the convenience economy. They're going online. And so these businesses, we are, which are so important for our neighborhoods, for the character of our communities, are being left behind. And so we really think that like our role at DoorDash is to help these businesses navigate that shift. We believe that everyone and every business is born uniquely capable, but lacks equal access to opportunities. So we think of our job as leveling the playing field for these businesses and giving them the tools and the technology that they need to compete and navigate that shift and to grow their business, both for the customers that are walking through their door and the ones who don't. When we really think about the work we do at DoorDash, um, we run a multi-sided marketplace. So we exist to empower these businesses to reach their new customers, um, we also exist to give dashers, or people who are in the market for gig work, access to economic opportunity. And we exist to give customers access to support the best businesses in their neighborhood. And that's how the numbers look for 2021. So in 2021, we had over 6 million dashers do over 450 million active hours on our platform. 
and earned $11 billion. We generated almost, 20, almost $30 billion for our merchants through our marketplace, um, and we fulfilled over 1.38 billion orders. Now, this notion of driving access to opportunity has been wired into our DNA from the very beginning. So back in the very beginning of this company, when we were known as Palo Alto Delivery, Palo Alto was the first market we ever launched in. And the big question at that moment was, what should the next market be? The choices were San Francisco or San Jose. Delivery at the time was a completely urban phenomenon. It only existed in New York, LA, and in San Francisco. And the conventional wisdom was that you would go to San Francisco. We chose San Jose precisely because it was underserved, precisely because merchants in, those, in the suburbs had no access to this type of service to meet, to meet a new customer. People looking for gig opportunity did not have a way to do work. Uh, people wanted to support their businesses, couldn't do that in the suburbs. And so a place that was underserved became the place that we started. And that suburban strategy of really starting outside in, starting with the most underserved areas, has been absolutely foundational to how our business has grown and how we've assumed market, market share leadership in the States. Um, second story to make, the, to make the point. Early on, um, we approached one of our partners, a large enterprise business, uh, to, do, to ask them to be on our marketplace so we could fulfill delivery for them. They politely declined. They were not really interested um, in being on our platform, but they asked us an interesting question, which is, would you actually be interested in us not being on your platform, but you building your logistics service to fulfill our catering deliveries? That a large catering business and they had trouble getting the drivers and all these things. Now, if we had thought of ourselves as being in the business of running a marketplace, we would have said no, because that would have felt like competing with ourselves. Because we thought of ourselves as being in the business of access, the right answer was to figure out how to help that business access the customer, whether it was happening on their platform or on ours. That decision became the foundation of DoorDash Drive, which is our platform services business that actually enables businesses you know and love like Walmart, Bed Bath & Beyond, Wingstop, um, Macy's to do same-day delivery. So today, when you go to Walmart and you order your groceries, DoorDash delivers them. When you do same-day delivery from uh, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond, DoorDash delivers it. And we love this business because while we're driving, obviously, that outcome for the merchants, we're also generating significant new ways to economically empower dashers. And we're giving customers the ability to order from their favorite businesses, even though they're not ordering on DoorDash, order directly and have it come to them. So one of the things that we talk a lot about and we think about is having this clarity around our mission, having our understanding of like we're here to empower local economies and the how through being creating access to opportunity really enables like great decision-making and principled decision-making. And this was a thing that had always been true in our business. And over the past couple of years, it became absolutely invaluable. So all of us in this room have wrestled with global, social, cultural crises over the past couple of years. And having this rubric has really helped us evaluate and think about how we respond in this moment. So when the pandemic happened, we narrowed our focus as a business to one question which is how can we help provide access for these businesses? And how do we do that for every part of our ecosystem? How do we do that for consumers? How do we do that for dashers? How do we do that for communities? For merchants, um, we cut commissions by 50% to enable merchants to have great access to the platform, to enable new merchants that wanted to come onto DoorDash to be able to afford it, um, to help merchants that were struggling to stay open, protect their bottom lines. We started a you know, local restaurant delivery a Saturday um, program to drive demand for them, 
by cutting um, delivery prices. And we started to provide them grants that helped them winterize their businesses. If you remember, um, the back half of that year was all about outdoor dining. And then there was real panic about when it got cold, what were, what were these businesses going to do? And so we were, we were able to provide grants to help them navigate how to winterize their operations going into the winter. And on top of that, we took our marketing platform and we entirely pivoted to pointing all of our marketing dollars to support them through this period. We went from brief to air in six days. Shout out to the partners at the Martin Agency that are in the room. Um, you know, it's incredible. And, and we did that because the question we asked was about, we needed to be in market as quickly as possible because the reports we were hearing from the ANA and from our restaurant partners was that every moment mattered. And so we wanted to find a way to get, rest, get consumers to go back and start to support restaurants. And if you remember at the time, it wasn't even clear if it was safe to order delivery. This was the era of like, you gotta like wipe off all the plates. You guys remember this shit? Um, and so we felt that it was really important to remind cons consumers that you could order delivery and that they needed to go support their restaurants to help them navigate this period. Um, and we wanted to remind them that while the doors were closed, restaurants were still open for delivery. Restaurants have always been there for you. A place to celebrate, to take a first date, to grab a meal between soccer practice and piano. And even though tables are empty at the moment, the kitchens are full, prepping everything so it's just right, keeping customers safe, and making the food as delicious as ever. They're still there for you. Now you can be there for them. While the doors may be closed, the kitchens are open for delivery. Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you wanna learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information. Open for Delivery went on to galvanize the entire restaurant industry. One of the things that was my favorite things about this campaign is we ended up on Twitter with restaurants who are fierce rivals encouraging their customers to go order from their rivals. So it's a great day when you have Chili's telling people to go to Wingstop. <laughs> That's a, that's a great outcome. Um, and we had our competitors also joining in the movement. This felt like, and sort of looking at the customer feedback, people were like, oh, we're so touched. You all are getting along, finally, because this industry tends to be about, you know, who has the best chicken sandwich. Um, and this was a very different moment when it was about the industry coming together to support each other to make it through the crisis. As a result of all these activities, um, we found the restaurants that were on DoorDash had eight times greater odds of staying in business in 2020. And this is in a year that the ANA called an extinction level event for the restaurant industry. And so the work that we did across these efforts that I've shared were critical to helping restaurants stay open. For Dashers, um, we, we became one of the largest providers of PPE. We sourced PPE from across the world, um, created a way for them to order the, those, um, that equipment to keep themselves safe. 
we signed, we're the only platform to do this. We signed a deal with Doctor on Demand so that if DASIS fell ill, they could actually get diagnosed and then get access to the financial services assistance that we were providing for DASIS who couldn't work. Um, and, you know, this seems smaller and more intangible, but I think one of the things that I was really excited about doing is we also created the space to start to tell these stories at scale, leveraging our voice and our partners. So you, you see this uh, article of Deshay Jackson, who's an amazing uh, dasher in New York, in New York City, um, and getting her story told in the New York Times and really getting people to understand that at a time when we were all locked at home, these were the heroes that were actually keeping the world moving. And when you think about from the beginning of the pandemic through the end of 2020, um, from when the stay-at-home stay orders went into effect in March through the end of the year, we had two million dashers join the platform. And this was a period when people were losing their jobs en masse, and this was a really viable source of employment. Um, Dashes overall through the end of the year made $3.5 billion, um, and 37% of that went to Dashes um, from low-income communities. For communities specifically, we had built a program a few years ago called Project Dash. And Project Dash was intended to solve a very specific problem, which is, as it turns out, the challenge around hunger insecurity is also a challenge of logistics. It's a challenge of getting food from where it is to where it needs to be. Like, it's not that there's no food, is that the food isn't in the right places. So we have used our logistics infrastructure to create Project Dash so we could redistribute food, work with food pantries. This effort went into overdrive during the pandemic. We wrapped it up, we worked with everyone from the mayor of New York City to the United Way. Um, we helped homebound seniors who couldn't go out. We helped students who were accessing free lunch from school to be able to get that to them. Um, and as a result, you know, we ended up donating over 21 million meals through Project Dash. Thank you. And for consumers, which is really the, the business that most people think of DoorDash when they think about, um, we made no contact delivery the default setting. So this is crazy because this is now normal to all of us. But two years ago, you had to go meet your delivery person <laughs> for any delivery <laughs> at your door. Um, we accelerated, we built no contact delivery in 10 days, launched it and made it the default on our platform, which accelerated other platforms doing the same. Um, to help dashes feel safe as they were delivering and to help consumers feel safe as they were receiving. And then we also accelerated the ramp of bringing new types of businesses onto the platform, both so that those businesses, whether it was a grocery store or, um, or a convenience store, could benefit from the service, but also that customers could then have more access. Because if you were at home, the great toilet paper shortage, it's a good time, y'all. Um, this was a way to get that. Now, all of those decisions were hectic. It was a hectic time. It felt like we're making a ton of decisions. It felt like we're changing a lot in the business. But they were objectively straightforward decisions. Fast forward to May 25th, when George Floyd was killed. We were faced with an entirely different type of question, a question with moral implications, which is how do we stand up and support black lives? And all of us in this room were being asked that same question. And as we thought about that moment, it felt to us that something fundamental had shifted in culture, in the relationship between corporations, their employees, and society. That for a long time, it had been okay, and neutrality was a safe haven, right? So it was actually okay that like, companies would never speak out about socially charged and divisive issues like race. But all of a sudden, we felt that that had changed, that there was actually now an expectation for businesses to weigh in, um, and that silence was now being interpreted as speech. So if you, weighed, if you didn't say anything, you were going to get called out. But also, if you said something and it didn't align with your business, 
If you didn't have the receipts, you were going to get called out. So those, we all saw the businesses that put up the black square on Instagram, and then everyone went up and put up their board and their exec team, and their employees asked questions about it. Why is this not true in the business? So as we thought about all of these issues, the thing that came to mind for us was that we needed a rubric, we needed a framework that allowed us to not just engage in the moment around Black Lives Matter, which is super important, but allowed us to think about social issues and sort of this changing relationship in an entirely different way and really think about how do we build a framework and a construct that allows us to react to these things universally throughout our business as they come up. So we asked ourselves, how do we design a set of principles that guide us on when and how to engage in social issues? I know this is something that all of us wrestle with. When things come up, do we speak up, do we not as a business? How do we ensure that our stances are actually authentic versus performative, that our actions are matching up to our words? How do we bake our social values into the fabric of how we do business every day? And how do we leverage our platform and resources to meaningfully help our communities and audiences? Enter the DoorDash Compass. So I'm going to walk you through a framework that we built to enable us as a business to start to engage with these questions. Our mission is at the heart of the compass, right? So we talk about we're here to empower local economies. But the reality is that like, you can't truly empower local economies without empowering everyone in the community. So thriving local economies require that every member of the community has an equal opportunity to realize their full potential. So we know that, you know, local, for example, we've talked about local merchants being uniquely disadvantaged by the status quo, and our job is to help them make that transition. We think that's broader. We think that our job is also to help communities that have historically been marginalized um, overcome those systemic inequities. So equality of opportunity is the cause and social value that we optimize for. Now, like any compass, this has polarities. There's places that we would like to head to and places that we would rather avoid. In our case, these are ethical polarities. We want to optimize for fairness and protect against bias. We want to optimize for access and protect against exclusion. And we want to promote progress and protect against stagnation, which gives us like the full compass. We built this to inform two things, how we respond to external events, but also how we actually build our business and culture and ensure that these principles are endemic to the way we operate. So I'll walk through some of the external events and how we think about these. In addition to the compass, we built a decision tree to help us think about when to engage. So when, it, when, it, when an issue comes up that we're being asked to opine on, does the topic promote equality of opportunity or does it pr protect against inequality since this is our central theme? Does the proposed issue directly impact our business mission and our community? Like, do we have a right to be having that conversation? Can we make an impact through our core business practices? Like, we don't want to show up and put up a square on Instagram. Can we actually do something with our business that is sustained? Can we commit to a systemic long-term approach? Often there's a demand to engage in the moment, but beyond that moment, what do you do next? And can we sustainably support the precedent and consistently apply it? And this is super important because you get called in to weigh in on all types of issues. When I worked at Facebook uh, many years ago, um, and many of you will remember this, there was an attack in Paris. And we made this filter that was gorgeous. It was the Eiffel Tower, it was beautiful, it was Pray for Paris, we put it on Facebook, everyone was like, wow, this is amazing, everyone shared it billions of times. Three weeks later, there was an assault, uh, an attack in Lebanon, and we said nothing, right? So we actually did not respond consistently. So for us in designing this, it was really important to think about how do you not just do it once, 
but set it up so that you can engage over and over again in a way that's consistent. Now, I want to walk through some of the decisions that we've grappled with over the past couple of years. So starting with Facebook, all of you remember, boy, God, Facebook. This was the thing that many of you in this room had to deal with. And so the way we thought about this was, is this related to the topic of equality opportunity? Absolutely, because this boycott is about hate speech. Does it impact our community? Yes, it does. Our employees and all of our audiences and our stakeholders. Can we make an impact? Budgets are statements of values. We spend a fair amount on Facebook. We could certainly pull that budget, but it's not going to make a full long-term impact. Can we commit to a systemic long-term approach? Not necessarily, because this is about a boycott at the moment, and we've seen many of the brands who boycotted have gone back. And can we sustainably apply that precedent? Now, we advertise in lots of places, as all of you do. And many of those places have similar challenges around content moderation. So we ended up, after going through this framework as an executive team and as a business, to deciding to figure out other ways to engage with Facebook, but not to engage in the boycott. Next example around Black Lives Matter. Um, this one was a yes all the way through. Um, so obviously, it's about equality. It affects our audiences. We believe we can make an impact through our business practices, through highlighting Black-owned businesses on the app, through driving them demand, through providing support in other ways. We believe we can commit to a consistent long-term focus. We can continue to build products and programs that speak to this audience. Um, and we, we then took work that had been done before. We had done some work a couple of years ago called Kitchens Without Borders, which was about celebrating immigrant and refugee-owned um, businesses. And so we took that and we said, actually, we're going to broaden that out to what we call equitable entrepreneurship. So we now have an equitable entrepreneurship program at DoorDash that is focused on helping all of these marginalized communities with the Black community being one of them. Another example, Juneteenth. We, we were asked the question, should Juneteenth be a company holiday? Um, and again, when you think about this, it makes a lot of sense. You go through, yes, it's about all the right topics. Yes, we can commit to it long term. It's an annual holiday. It's not that hard. But where this fell down for us is that we cannot sustainably apply it. So what, how do we think about other groups? How do we think about other heritage holidays? How do we think about um, how you continue to sustain this as these topics come up? So when this came up, we said the answer is we will not make it a company holiday. Uh, thankfully, a year later, the Biden administration made it a federal holiday. Immigrant rights. This has been core to our business and identity. I talked about KWB for a lot of, uh, earlier, um, but also, you know, we're an immigrant-founded business ourselves. So, you know, this has always been core to our DNA. We build programs around it. We believe it's something we can continue to do. And finally, and this one has been a really tricky one, um, do we, how do we respond to the war in Ukraine? So we had tons of conversations around this. And we decided that as a business, we would actually not do anything in our U.S. business, right? Because when we think about, yes, this is about the cause, but it actually does not impact our business in the United States. We saw lots of brands using their platforms in the United States to speak to this issue. We felt that it was really important that if we're going to engage, we did it through a business that was proximate to the problem. So we have a business in Germany um, that's now working with the Red Cross to help refugees that are coming over. So again, we wanted to engage in ways that we thought would be true to our business and that we could continue to sustain. But I think the important thing to say about this is like, it's easy to put these things on a slide. These were incredibly emotional conversations. But what this rubric allows us to do is to be able to have this conversation in a transparent way, to be able to engage with the business, to be able to engage with people that are asking us those questions so that they understand the decision that we've made. Now, while people may not always agree, they understand how we got to that decision. So that's how we respond externally. I think the other thing that's been potentially even more important and impactful for our business is how do we take these principles 
and bake them into the fabric of how we do business. So, you know, when you join DoorDash, we're hiring, shout out, all the time. Um, the compass is embedded in our new employee orientation. So this is something that everyone who joins the company gets exposure to and starts to understand what it means to us and how we think about bringing it to life to our business. But even more importantly, every business plan that's ever written at DoorDash has a section that is required to have a compass statement. So as we write up quarterly plans on all the various businesses across the company, all the various teams that are building plans, um, they're supposed to tell us how is, their plan, how is the plan that they're building going to address the principles of the compass? How are they going to promote equality of opportunity? How are they going to prevent inequality? This is one example um, from uh, our Q2 restaurants plan. Um, and you know, I'll highlight DoorDash Capital, which is a new initiative that we launched not too long ago to provide capital to underserved businesses who needed cash flow in their business um, as they were operating. And we've incentivized this behavior. So as we go through the planning process, the teams, we evaluate the statements, we evaluate the teams that are seeing a ton of traction, and they get swag. Um, the teams that we choose that have the best ideas and are demonstrating the best traction um, get Compass swag. We select one to two initiatives every quarter. They get $5,000 to donate to a charity of their choice, and they get $1,000 for team activity. It's been amazing to see this stuff go from that process to start to make it out into the world. So here's some examples of some ideas that have come out of the Compass planning um, that are alive today, um, that are having a profound impact on our business and on our audiences. Um, I'll highlight a couple. So post the pandemic, one of the things that we knew that was a, still a pain point for restaurants, and as we think about like creating quality of access and equality of opportunity, <clears throat> was creating a tiered structure for them to be able to access a platform like ours um, through the commissions that we charge, right? So how do we give you a way to participate in DoorDash at 15%, at 20%, at 25%, um, how do we create a way so that if you don't want to be on the high tier, you have a way to participate? We were the first platform in the space to do this. Uh, since then, many others have followed along. The other thing I'll highlight is the accelerator program that we launched to support BIPOC food entrepreneurs. So we launched the Local Goods Accelerator. We have a business called Dashmart, which is a first party like online convenience and grocery delivery. And we've carved out shelf space in those places to support entrepreneurs who are starting CPG businesses, CPG brands, entrepreneurs from communities of color, from the LGBTQ community, um, and from immigrant, immigrant and refugee communities. So we're giving them a way to start to showcase their products. They can apply to this. They get support. They get some capital. They get advice. And they also get shelf space, which is hugely important if you're trying to get a net new concept off the ground. Now, the other thing that's amazing is that, like, this ethos actually just starts to like bubble through the business. So even outside of this process, we start to see like lots of examples of how teams are starting to adapt these principles. So our ads team is building this amazing ads product, which is one of a kind because it charges based not on clicks, but on conversions. Now, why is this important? If you're like a small local business that has never invested in marketing and doesn't actually have a ton of room to spend, having the guarantee that you can invest and not get charged if it doesn't have a return is massive. So this creates access to businesses that have never been able to do advertising, um, to be able to engage on platforms like ours to get discovered um, and, and drive conversions. It's also been amazing in starting to shift and give us clarity on who we partner with. Um, as we think about partners that we want to align ourselves with, the Compass helps the team really think through 
with the right partners. And so you end up choosing people like Bubba Wallace. You end up choosing people like Chene Ogumweke. And when we partner with Chene, this is like one of the good, really good examples of not even knowing that you're making history when you're pushing on something like this, which is we partnered with Chene. She was the face of our NBA campaign. And it was the first time in over a decade that any brand had used a WNBA athlete as the lead in a, in a basketball campaign, which was extraordinary. Um, we partnered with Angel City FC, which is the new um, female franchise um, in LA, which is all about women's empowerment. So this starts to really give us a consistent way to think about who are the right people to partner with and who are the wrong people to partner with. And then I, I alluded to this earlier, but even in the design of our Black-owned business sort of program, you know, we could have done, we did the things that other people have done, which is like, how do you highlight these businesses on the platform? How do you drive them demand? We took it a step further by saying, we also actually want to start to address some of the systemic barriers that these businesses face, such as access of lack to capital. So we're able to partner to bring them and like match loans for these businesses. And then the last example I'll share to close this out, um, our merchant strategy and operations teams and marketing teams had an ingenious idea inspired by this to say, how do we bring back businesses that have actually been shuttered by the pandemic that cannot have been closed forever, but are beloved in their communities? And in partnership with our agencies, um, we created this concept called Reopen for Delivery, which was about taking these businesses that were beloved in their neighborhoods and bringing them back as delivery uh, operations um, that we were helping set up from the ground up. So I literally had people on my marketing team that were sourcing smokers. I don't, you know, it's not a, it's not a marketing core skill set, <laughs> but it's something that we had to go figure out. And working with, um, you know, third parties that provided the kitchen infrastructure and then bringing these businesses back so that they could continue to support the communities um, that they were beloved in. To be black in America is to be an entrepreneur. You're the CEO of the business, and the business is staying alive. Black-owned businesses in our community have had an undue stigma because people didn't trust our goods and services. Eternal God, we want to send a special prayer throughout the city of Chicago with your hand upon the Inglewood community. Chicago's like that crossroads of everything. It's a certain beat. It's a vibe. You gotta schedule vacations in your five-year plan. You gotta schedule celebrations in your five-year plan. You gonna have several revelations in your first five days. In your first five minutes, have your first five fans. For like 45 minutes, take Our story begins break. in the South Side. My grandfather used to say, you create your own luck. You create your own opportunity. I never saw him work for anybody. And that blew my mind. I learned business from him. I met him and he was talking about all these businesses that he was going to have. And I've watched him get a bunch of no's. I've watched him get laughed at, but he just wouldn't stop. At a certain point, I just said, look, I can't beat you, so I'm going to join you. Let's open up a restaurant. At one time in history, every corner on the south side of Chicago was occupied by a black entrepreneur. They came from that Mississippi mud, came from that Alabama soil, came from that Arkansas plantation. This little light of mine, I'ma let it shine, I'ma let it shine. 
My family's from Mississippi. They migrated to Chicago. And they brought all those traditions with them. When we were coming up with Crazy Hog, I knew that the sauce had to speak volumes. My grandmother made everything from scratch. She blessed us with that sauce. She blessed our business. She blessed her legacy. And boy, did it take off. When you walk into Crazy Hog, we know your name. I think we built the energy. The energy was there. We just found a place to house it. The vibe was just infectious. I'll never forget, it was a Sunday. I was sitting in church. I got the alert on my phone that the governor said that there's no more dining in. All I could do was cry. That's all I could do. My mind immediately went to the community. We had customers that would come in every single day. Who's gonna feed them? That's all I could think of. People we knew and loved, we lost. And then our business, which we loved, we lost that too. The South Side is the heartbeat of resilience. And through undying pride and devotion to our community, we will come back. And we will come back stronger. We wondered how can we reopen. All we want to do is feed folk. We all know dining is gonna change. It has changed. DoorDash is a vehicle. It's a way to put our food in the hands and the homes of families everywhere. Kobe can't stop us. We're sitting there right now because of lessons I've learned from my father and my grandfather. And so I've taught that to my kids. I want the legacy to continue. Entrepreneurship is dedication. It's passion. Our responsibility as black business owners is to be a good example. We need examples. Our community needs it. is what brought Crazy Hog back. Just like Access is what put me on this stage. We're proud to be building a business that empowers local communities 
by creating access to opportunity. Thank you so much. Don't you just love the idea of DoorDash's noble brand purpose of providing access and empowering local communities? I mean, this company is so much more than a delivery business. They are diving headfirst into social issues and leading by example that neutrality is no longer the safe haven for brands. Brands need demonstrable proof points that bring their point of view on a variety of topics and issues to life and how they're tackling these issues that affect their products or their services or their employees or their customers or their communities. I really appreciate the rubric that Kofi shared, and I, th- I consider it this masterclass example of how causes can be vetted and then appropriate action can be taken. I strongly suggest that you borrow liberally from his evaluative criteria and create something similar for your organization. Doing so will help get everyone on the same page about when and how to best engage. I also want to take a moment to just acknowledge the Herculean task of figuring out in real time how to operate during the pandemic. You know, our frontline workers like nurses and doctors got a lot of credit during the pandemic and rightfully so, but delivery drivers and DoorDash did so much to keep people fed and to keep our economy on course. I can't even imagine the chaos and the tough choices and the big bets that the DoorDash leadership team had to make over the past 24 months when the pandemic and all of the varying regulations kept fluctuating. But I'm confident that it was Kofi's grace under pressure that allowed them to be so instrumental in helping so many millions of families, business owners, and drivers enjoy a meal and earn some money. And lastly, I just want to briefly acknowledge that there's a long form video that Kofi plays at the end of his remarks. And it was obviously better to watch it in person, but I hope that you were able to get the gist of it in audio form. What I want to especially call your attention to is the fact that DoorDash invested the resources to produce something of that quality. I mean, just consider the time and the money required to make that movie. I'm such a fan of that effort more so than doing, say, traditional advertising. It's just better storytelling. It's more real, it's more authentic, and it's more impactful. One of the cult brand principles I love deals with this idea of brand purpose and the fact that brands need to talk more about what they stand for than what they sell. And what Kofi shared is a brilliant example of that. Anyone who watches that film will have a fundamentally better understanding of what DoorDash is all about. And I know for me, I'm more motivated to align my buying habits with a brand like them because of it. And I hope that you are too. Until next time. You've been listening to Cult Brand Secrets where we share the best insights gleaned from The Gathering, an annual summit for brand leaders eager to make their companies more successful and more significant. Learn more about The Gathering at cultgathering.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please rate and review us in your podcast app. Cult Brand Secrets is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. 
Special thanks to our producer and audio engineer, William Pritz, as well as our executive producers, David Moss and Bridget Coyne. I'm your host, Chris Nealon. Thanks for listening. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.